I want us to do something this morning before I start. I want everybody to just close your eyes. Everybody's, cl- everybody's eyes closed. And I want you to think of one thing that you're thankful for this morning. And when you think of that one thing, eyes closed, lift up one hand. All right. Now lift up both hands and let's thank him for it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Thank you for that blessing in our lives. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Felt like I was supposed to do that this morning. We live in a society where ingratitude seems to be the prevalent thing. And it's very easy to get sucked into that um, attitude of ingratitude. (laughs) So it's good for us to just stop and remember... We've got so much to be thankful for. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you ready to hear the word this morning? Yes. All right. A little bit of a explanation here. I, I like a lot of different translations of the Bible. There's so many out there. Some are, a lot of them are good. Some are garbage. <laughs> but, um, we don't have all of them in our system. Um, so I'm going to tell you what I'm reading out of. Uh, Jerry Lee's going to, the ones we don't have will default to New King James. So if it looks like the wording I'm reading is a little bit different, that's the reason why. So this scripture we're reading this morning, uh, the text for this, this, uh, message is out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. And I'm reading it out of the modern English version. And Paul's writing here, he says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Look, all things have become new. And all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask your Holy Spirit to open our eyes today and make your word come alive in us. Help us to better understand our right standing with you and the covenant benefits that provides that that provides to us as believers. Thank you for helping us and for transforming us into the image of your Son. In the name of Jesus, amen. The last time I spoke to you, we looked at the legal side of our redemption, which God accomplished through his blood covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and culminating in the sacrifice of the spotless Son of God on the cross for all of humanity. Today, I want us to look more closely at the results of this blood-bought redemption. I think if you were to ask the average Christian to explain what salvation means to them, you'd likely get one or maybe both of the following responses. The first would be that salvation means they don't have to go to hell when they die. And the second would be that salvation means their sins have been forgiven. And while both those statements are true, If that is the extent of our understanding of salvation, then Christianity at that level will never fully satisfy the deepest yearning of our heart to know God and to walk with him intimately. When we studied the blood covenant recently, 
We saw that Adam committed high treason when he yielded to the word of Satan over the word of God. And when that happened, man's spirit died to God. And fellowship between God and man was lost. Immediately after his treason, man felt a sense of condemnation and unworthiness in God's presence. We see this displayed clearly in Genesis 3, 7 through 8. And this is out of the New American Standard Bible. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. For me, there's something heart-rending about that verse, verse 8. I can picture the Lord walking through the garden, calling out for Adam and Eve as he always did, knowing full well that they had rebelled against him and that everything had changed. The whole reason for man's creation was God's desire for fellowship. And now fellowship had been broken. And man was no longer in right standing with his creator. If man was to be restored to perfect fellowship with God, all sin consciousness and any sense of unworthiness and inferiority must be eliminated from man's spirit. In other words, his righteousness had to be restored. Now, righteousness is one of those high-sounding words from the Bible that we tend to gloss over when we read it. But the word simply means uh, innocent, right, and just. It means to be in right standing with God, to be able to stand in the Father's presence without any sense of fear or condemnation. When we studied the blood covenant, we saw that God's plan for redeeming man from sin and the power of Satan was perfectly legal. And it had to be, didn't it? Yeah. It was a demonstration of God's flawless wisdom and unending love toward his creation. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, the Father was able to forgive man of his sins. But to forgive man's sins without changing man's sinful nature would be of no value. So the first thing the Father had to do after he redeemed man from the dominion of Satan was to recreate man on legal grounds, making him an absolutely new creation. And thank God he did. Let's look again at our text from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and look, all things have become new. What does it mean to be in Christ? Paul uses that term quite a bit in the epistles. Let me use a crude illustration here. Let's say you have one of those blue five-gallon buckets you can buy at Lowe's. Or maybe if you just hate Lowe's, and you, you can get the orange five-gallon buckets from Home Depot. <laughs> But that's not the point. It's, you got the five-gallon bucket, right? And you're able to attach an extremely long rope to the handle of the bucket. But then you sail out to the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. You drop that bucket into the water, and you let it settle to the bottom of the Gulf. That's, that's why you needed the extremely long rope. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you say the bucket is in the Gulf, or the Gulf is in the bucket? Well, both those statements are correct, aren't they? You're the bucket. And when you believe the message of the gospel and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become immersed in him. And his spirit and his life come into you. It means you're reconciled to God and in union with him. In the book of Romans, 
Paul likened it to a branch being grafted into an olive tree and sharing in the nutrients from the rich root of the tree. That's what it means to be in Christ. But something else takes place. God recreates your human spirit. You become a new creature. We read in Titus 3, Titus 3, verses 4 through 5, and this is out of the New American Standard Bible. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. The word translated regeneration here carries the meaning of a spiritual renovation or rebirth of our nature. If you've ever done a complete renovation of some room in your home, maybe you had a fire or a flood or something, you would likely have gutted that room right down to the drywall or maybe even to the studs, taking everything out and discarding it. When that room is fully renovated, there's not a semblance of similarity to the original. Well, the spiritual renovation is like that. We call it being born again. Going back to verse 17 in our text in 2 Corinthians 5, what are the old things that have passed away? Well, foremost is our old sinful nature. The Bible talks about the hidden man of the heart. It's referring to the human spirit, the man on the inside of you. You could rightly say there was an old, old hidden man of the heart and a new one. Your old spirit man was born in sin and was dead to God. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that old man passed out of existence. He was completely recreated. And a new man that is alive to God and has the nature of God replaced it. Romans 6, 6 in the New King James Version says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Old things can also refer to our old identity, our life of sin and our religious works of trying to please God. All that is related to the old order is vanished, and the new order has come. It's interesting to note that the same Greek word translated passed away in that verse is the same word used to describe the passing away of heaven and earth at the end of the millennial kingdom when all the elements will melt with fervent heat. So continuing with our text in 2 Corinthians 5.17, look, all things have become new. The New American Standard Bible translate this new things have come. This is not the meaning of new as it relates to time, but rather new in form or quality. So what has changed in its form or in its quality? Our hidden man of the heart, our spirit man. It's been made new with the nature of God. Our scripture text continues in verse 18. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What's from God? The passing away of the old man and the birthing of the new recreated spirit that can stand in God's presence as righteous as Jesus without any sense of guilt, condemnation, or inferiority. Don't let that slip by you. As righteous as Jesus, that's what we've become. Hallelujah. That's sort of mind-boggling, but it's, that's the truth. Romans 3, 21 through 26 in the Amplified Version sort of summarizes all this up. This is pretty wordy, so stay with me. I, I, I think it's worth looking at. But now the righteousness of God has been revealed independently 
and altogether apart from the law, although actually it is attested by the law and the prophets, namely, the righteousness of God, which comes by believing with personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And it is meant for all who believe. There is no distinction, since all have sinned and are falling short of the honor and glory which God bestows and receives. All are justified and made upright and in right standing with God, freely and gratuitously, by His grace, His unmerited favor and mercy, through the redemption which is provided in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward before the eyes of all as a mercy seat and propitiation. That's another legal term which simply means appeasement or satisfaction. By his blood, the cleansing and life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation to be received through faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over and ignored former sins without punishment. And then verse 26, it was to demonstrate and prove at the present time in the now season that he himself is righteous and that he justifies. That word simply means makes righteous. So he himself is righteous and he makes righteous and he accepts as righteous him who has true faith in Jesus. Glory to God. What are we saying here? Our righteousness, our right standing with God is accomplished by God. Hallelujah. I think this is a good place for us to shout out loud. Say this out loud. Say this. I am in right standing with God. I'll say it like you mean it. I am in right standing with God. I don't know about you, but that does something on the inside of me. Glory to God. Well, what kind of God are we in right standing with? Considering the consider these following facts. The largest thermonuclear bomb, which is a hydrogen bomb, detonated in the, it detonated in the U.S. and this took place back in the 50s, 1950s. Left a crater over a mile in diameter. Now that would stretch along U.S. 19 from Moog Road just south of Darlington Road, and 250 feet deep. Now imagine detonating 10 billion of those bombs. All at once. That's the amount of energy produced in the sun's core. Not every year, not every month, not every day. Every second. The God you are in right standing with, that you just declared you are in right standing with, he created that sun. And he's kept it burning for over 4 billion years, according to scientists' estimates. The observable universe which is the region of the universe that can be observed from Earth or its space-based telescopes and probes, is approximately 93 billion light years in diameter. This is just the observable universe. One light year is approximately 5.88 trillion miles. The God you are in right standing with created all of that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's bring it closer to home. There are 228,000 known species in the oceans of the earth. There are as many as 2 million more that remain a total mystery. The God you are in right standing with created all of those creatures. And he made you, the believer, a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, at this point, you might be thinking, I want to believe I'm righteous, Brother Dave, but I sure don't feel like it most of the time. Well, first of all, feelings don't have a thing in the world to do with it. That's right. It's based on what God says about us in the Word. Amen. But feelings are also very real to us, aren't they? Yes. So let's look at why those feelings of not being righteous come to us and how we deal with them when they do. We establish that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our spirit man, a man on the inside, is recreated and given the nature of God. This puts us in right standing with God. But we are more than just a spirit, aren't we? We have a flesh and bone body, and we have a soul. The Bible shows us that in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is from the Good News Translation. May the God who gives us peace make you holy in every way and keep your whole, W-H-O-L-E, being, spirit, soul, and body, free from every fault at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Kenneth Hagin summarized, I think she's saying in baby talk, I am in right standing with God. (laughs) So Kenneth Hagin summarized the threefold nature of man like this. Man's spirit is the dimension of man which deals with the spiritual realm, the part of man that knows God. Man's soul is the dimension of man which deals with the mental realm, man's intellect, and I would add his emotions, the part that reasons and thinks. And then we have the body, which is the dimension of man, which deals with the physical realm, the house in which our spirit lives. Brother Hagen taught us to think of ourselves as a spirit being who has a soul and lives in a body. That's helped me a lot in my walk with the Lord over the years. We've already talked about our spirit, our inner man, how it's been born again, put in right standing with God. But what happens to our body, our outward man, when we're born again? Well, your body is the same flesh and bone body it was before you were saved. So if you were bald before you got saved, brother, you're going to be bald after you got saved. If you were short before you got saved, you're going to be short after you got saved. But the Bible gives us specific instructions as to what we're to do with our bodies after we're saved. Romans 12.1 in the New King James Version says, and this is Paul speaking, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We are to do something with our body, our flesh. We're to bring it into subjection to the word of God and our recreated spirit, and not let it dominate us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, the New Living Translation is the version I'm using here. He said, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. How does an athlete discipline his or her body? Well, consider this morning routine of Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps when he swam in the Beijing Olympics in 2008. He woke up at 6.30 in the morning after getting seven to nine hours sleep. Hallelujah, I would love to have that. (laughs) He was in the cafeteria by 7 a.m., downing the first of more than 6,000 calories he would consume over the next 16 hours. You see, he knew exactly how much food he would need to accomplish his goals that day. And we think we're doing good if we read a few verses in the morning. Ouch. Two hours before his first race of the day, 
Phelps began his half-hour stretching routine. An hour and a half before the race, he started his 45-minute warm-up exercises, which consisted of 800 meters of mixed styles, 600 meters of kicking, 200 meters of stroke drills, and a series of 25-meter sprints to elevate his heart rate. (laughs) Man, how elevated do you need to get your heart? (laughs) 45 minutes before the race, he exited the pool and put on his bodysuit, which was so tight it required 20 minutes of (laughs) tugging to put it on. I'm just trying to picture this. And then he puts on his headphones and waits. That's how an athlete prepares for for a race. I wonder how many of us discipline our flesh with that same rigor. Don't have to answer that question. Earlier in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul reproved the believers there for being carnal. That word carnal means fleshly. Carnal Christians are Christians who let their bodies or their flesh rule them. If we let it, our body will want to go on doing the same things it's always done. And if we live like that, we'll never come to the place where our righteousness is a reality to us. Or we can choose to let the word of God and our inward man dominate our flesh and present it to God as a holy living sacrifice. We said the soul is the part of man that reasons and thinks. Well, what happens to the soul after we're born again? Just like our flesh, our soul is the same. Romans 12.2 tells us we are to play an active role in changing our mind. Paul said, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conform refers to assuming an outward expression that does not reflect what is really inside, a kind of masquerade or act. So if you're born again, but your outer man is living like the world, you're basically living a masquerade or an act. The Phillips translation of this verse says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Once we come into the kingdom of God, we should abandon the thought patterns and lifestyles of this world system, which man under the influence of Satan has built in order to make himself happy without God. Instead, we're to be transformed by renewing our mind. The word transform signifies a change in outward appearance. This happens when we allow the new righteous nature in our spirit to manifest outwardly in our lives. And this outward transformation can occur only when we allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking through studying and meditating on the Word of God. That's how we learn to think like God thinks. The Bible also tells us what to do when those thoughts and imaginations that are contrary to God and His Word bombard our minds. And that happens, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians 10.5, and this is from the easy-to-read version. Paul said, And we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We also capture every thought, and we make it give up and obey Christ. I like the sounds of that verse. We capture every thought, And we make it give up and obey Christ. Hallelujah. So the next time you find yourself thinking or saying, I sure don't feel righteous, you tell your feelings and emotions that the Word of God says you are. What if you messed up? You let your flesh dominate you and you did something you knew that was displeasing to God. Thank God for 1 John 1.9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the enemy whispers in your ear, you call yourself righteous after acting like that? Anybody ever heard that? Because I sure have. Will you respond with the word? I've confessed my sins and I've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Our entire Christian walk on this earth can be described as the process of allowing our recreated spirit to rise to its proper place of ascendancy over our flesh and our mind so that we can walk out God's will in our lives. I want to read that again because that was not Brother Dave speaking there. That I believe that was the Lord that gave me that. Our entire Christian walk on this earth can be described as the process of allowing our recreated spirit to rise to its proper place of ascendancy over our flesh and our mind so that we can walk out God's will in our lives. If you're like me, that can often be a challenge, living in a society that is changing radically at warp speed, a society that is hell-bent on casting off all righteous restraints, a society that bombards us with ungodly words and ungodly images. We start to feel like righteous lot who was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. There was a book written in the 1970s by a believer named Francis Schaeffer, and it was called, How Should We Then Live? We might be asking that question today, living in this crazy world like we do. I believe God's answer to believers is this. Live like you are men and women who are in right standing with the God of the universe, who are full of the Holy Spirit and power, who are full of the word and faith, who are more than conquerors, equipped to do great exploits in the name of Jesus. Live like Satan is defeated. Amen. And live like you're expecting the imminent return of your Lord and Savior, the King of righteousness. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Thank you for putting us in right standing with you. Help us to become spirit conscious, to let our spirit man dominate over our flesh. We declare that we trust in you, Lord, with all of our heart. We will not lean on our own understanding. We commit to being doers of your word and not hearers only. And with your help, we will walk as your ambassadors in a world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's say it one more time. I am. In right standing standing with God. God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go out and act like it today. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Praise God.